It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, May 4th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. All three members of Alaska's congressional delegation released statements strongly condemning Tuesday's ruling from the U.S. District Court of Western Washington, which, if left unchallenged, will force the closure of the King Salmon Troll Fishery in southeast Alaska this summer. Alaska's senior senator, Lisa Murkowski, wrote, This is a disastrous decision for southeast Alaska that will only serve to harm those small boat troll fishermen who are trying to provide for their families. This lawsuit should have been dismissed months ago, but now threatens devastating restrictions that will harm hundreds of Alaskans and dozens of coastal communities, all while doing nothing to actually benefit the Puget Sound orca population. The lawsuit was filed in early 2020 against the National Marine Fisheries Service by a Washington state conservation group, the Wild Fish Conservancy, which argued that the interception of king salmon in southeast Alaska was harming a small population of threatened orcas, known as southern resident killer whales. Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan called the judge's ruling outrageous, writing... What's most remarkable about this case is that the judge and Wild Fish Conservancy totally ignore much more likely causes of the orca decline, like the toxins, pollution, noise disturbance, and vessel traffic that have undoubtedly wreaked havoc in the Puget Sound region. Alaska's lone member of the U.S. House, Representative Mary Peltola, joined the senators writing, If this order is allowed to stand, Southeast Alaska will suffer a devastating loss, putting thousands of jobs at risk in communities that depend on the sustainably managed fishery. In March of this year, the delegation filed an amicus brief with the U.S. District Court in support of Southeast Troll fishermen. Other interveners in the suit are the Alaska Trollers Association and the state of Alaska. The Alaska legislature this spring passed a resolution in support of the fishery. The governor has said he'd appeal the case to the U.S. Supreme Court if necessary. Alaska's top medical officer says the state came through the pandemic surprisingly well and capitalized on lessons from the last major pandemic a century earlier. Dr. Ann Zink was in Sitka last week for a meeting and presentation on pandemic preparedness in the circumpolar north. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Dr. Ann Zink is an emergency room physician from Palmer. She became the state's chief medical officer in 2019, just prior to the arrival of COVID-19. She was a constant presence in statewide media throughout the pandemic and a trusted source of information. Zink thought Alaska wrote out the pandemic on the determination of its residents. She doesn't want that idea to be overlooked. At the end of the day, though, I hope that what we will take from this pandemic is a sense of uh, resilience and strength. It was just a phenomenal opportunity and privilege to see communities and communities of strength come together and respond to a huge existential crisis in really powerful ways. In early 2020, Alaska braced for the inevitable arrival of COVID-19. The precedent had been set almost exactly a century earlier during the last great pandemic. During the 1918 pandemic, the influenza virus came in primarily via fishing, and it also came in somewhat by mail, but mainly via fishing. And so communities that kept fishermen out and kept mail out continued to have culture and identity and did not see the loss that communities had where it came in, particularly during fishing. And we started to see the same thing here in the pandemic. In fact, our very first case was a cargo pilot. You know, we're the third busiest cargo airport now in the world. Like we have a lot of people who come in and out. 
and for fishing. We have a lot of people who come in and out, and there's a lot of movement. The lesson of 1918 guided the state's response in 2020 and 21, develop partnerships with the industries most reliant on transient workers, and contain the virus to prevent its spread to surrounding communities. Zink says there was extraordinary cooperation among businesses, and unlike 1918, the state recorded no direct transmission of the virus between the fishing industry and its associated communities. She referenced the opinion of U.S. Centers for Disease Control Director Rochelle Walensky that these kinds of success stories were not the most visible during the pandemic. Dr. Walensky had a quote the other day. She said, your head might be in the fire and your feet might be in the freezer and your average temperature is just fine, but your experience is really different. And I think that was really the experience in Alaska in many ways. And so particularly with fishing, we just really had to stand in. And I am incredibly grateful for the fishing companies and the independent fishermen and the all the towns and communities where it was amazing partnership to say, how can we maintain fishing and livelihood and business and economy and food? Zink says the state's healthcare establishment is learning as much coming out of the pandemic as going in. Her feeling, which she expressed in Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting during the pandemic, is that there are many more threats to the health of Alaskans than viruses. I'm less concerned about the next pandemic, and I'm more concerned about my next shift. And so what ways can we be braiding in health and wellness into everyday activity? And so that's a lot of my focus now with the state. Zink says that Alaska is unique among the 50 states in that all 229 sovereign tribal nations have joined with the State Department of Health and Social Services to develop a long-term health improvement plan called Healthy Alaskans 2030. Expert witnesses testified in court Wednesday that traditional tribal values are ingrained in Southeast Native culture. They were testifying in a trial to determine if it is constitutional to display traditional tribal values in Ketchikan schools. Cultural anthropologists and professors took the stand to answer questions about what the values mean to Clinkett, Haida, and Simsian people. KRBT's Regan Miller was in court and has this report. A trial has been ongoing in Ketchikan to determine if displaying the 14 traditional tribal values developed by area culture leaders violates the First Amendment. About a third of Ketchikan students are Alaska Native. Stephen Langdon is a professor of cultural anthropology. He testified that the values all hinge around the idea of respect, central in Southeast Native culture. Well, what's critically important is that people have to uh, learn to live together and by understanding others... Uh, it's much more successful to be able to uh, live together. The idea of reverence for our creator is what plaintiffs Justin Brees and Rebecca King say violates the First Amendment's Establishment Clause. They say that hanging the posters in school common areas without context or a lesson is endorsing the values. They also take issue with how the values are used in a behavior reward program at Ketchikan Charter School. Langdon said there isn't a religion or a specific deity worshipped by Tlingit, Haida, or Simshian people. He told several traditional stories from clans around the region to emphasize how the values are integral in the native way of life. He referenced stories about the character Raven, which is both creator and trickster. He described the stories as teaching tools. The ways in which they are used in teaching is to think about what Raven is doing, and it's not necessarily in a positive light. But Plaintiff Brees pointed out what he believed to be references to creation in Raven stories. Plaintiff Rebecca King spoke at length in court on Tuesday. On the final day, Brees highlighted a website from the Central Council of Clinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska, which makes a reference to the creator that blessed indigenous people with the land. 
The site also has a passage that includes a description of the story Raven and the Creation Story and describes it as a story about, quote, how the raven created the world. But Langdon said that he doesn't think the example was typical. Well, that's an unusual use of the word creation from the vantage point of Western thought. He said that the term doesn't really translate to English and raven stories aren't creation stories. They're meant to teach lessons. Or who raven uh, is supposed to um, be a part of. Rosita Wuerl is the president of the Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. She testified that the meaning of the word creator got misinterpreted in translation. In our culture, reverence for, you know, our creator, you know, doesn't refer to any god or any deity that we worship. That's absolutely not, you know, within our culture. Uh, within our culture, uh, creator could refer to multiple beings. Worrell said that the Southeast Native culture includes a belief that everything has a spirit, even a rock or a table. She said that the values need to be taught to promote healing from historical wrongs. They are necessary to openly living a traditional way of life. We want people to learn about our culture and our values. In closing arguments, Brees said that the district is teaching the spiritual beliefs of indigenous people. They are used as a guidepost for behaviors and beliefs required of a good student. Recognizing and rewarding students for following the 14 traditional tribal values shows the district is teaching, promoting, and endorsing those tribal values instead of teaching about them. John Patassin, the attorney for the school district, argued that not every reference to a creator violates the First Amendment. He said that the values are deeply ingrained in an indigenous way of life, which has a place in public schools. These values take on a meaning which are social and customary for these people, and it has taken on that meaning for the last 12,000 years. Every feature of everyday life, be it subsistence, ceremonies, and every object that the experts and all the witnesses have shown you, these are the values by which they live. Wednesday marked the end of the civil trial in Ketchikan Superior Court. Judge Catherine Librand did not give an estimated timeline for her decision, but told the courtroom she didn't expect it to take long. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Regan Miller. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. And now taking a look at the weather for Sitka for today, Thursday, May 4th, 2023. Today, partly sunny, with a high near 52. Calm wind becoming west around 5 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 41. West winds around 5 miles per hour becoming calm in the evening. You're tuned in to your community radio station, Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Good morning. Good morning.